Uh, back in college, it seemed like every, every spring break, I was on a choir trip. And uh, usually it was the, the Nebraska Wesleyan Swing Choir. And uh, sometimes, depending on what the show was, our, you know, our, our professor would do a different lineup. And sometimes he'd say, oh, Steve, I want you to do the, uh, the solo uh, in, this, in this show. Uh, and, and one year, the, the solo that I did when I was called upon uh, was a, a, and I would play guitar and sing, and it was a, a song by Jim Croce called Roller Derby Queen. Anybody ever heard it? Jeff, yeah, a couple of you, yeah, all right. It's kind of a funny song. And I remember the, the, the one time I sang this, and we, had a, we put on a show at this huge high school in Chicago. So it was in this big auditorium, probably the most people I've ever sung for just by myself. And I sang that song, and let me tell you, it brought down the house. <laughs> but that's the last time I ever sang that song. No. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I didn't sing it after that. The song makes it easy to laugh at women with a certain body type. And I thought about some of those girls in that huge auditorium and that maybe I had brought shame upon them and that they felt like they wanted to crawl in a hole after that. It was like the Lord had told me that I had crossed a line, that I had compromised too far right there. You know, from time to time, we all face difficult dilemmas, right? We, uh, we, we try to say, well, what's right? What's wrong? Uh, when is it okay to compromise? When is it not? So today, we are starting a four-sunny series uh, from the book of Daniel on how to thrive in Babylon. And you say, Babylon? I've never been to Babylon, never going to Babylon. I don't even know where Babylon is. Well, there is a Babylon in New York, by the way, uh, about an hour from Manhattan. And if I ever go there, I'm going to eat at the, Babylon, at the Babylon Burger Bar. There is one, real one. And, uh, but that's not the Babylon, of course, we're talking about today. Babylon was an ancient city in, uh, in the Middle East, in present-day Iraq. And here you see some of the ruins that they've dug up. Uh, from Babylon. Uh, and in the Bible, Babylon was a city that also came to be a symbol. So let me say this about the symbol. Babylon became a symbol of humans taking the place of God, assuming the power to redefine good and evil. Now, the first time we hear about Babylon in the Bible, it's called Babel, same place, though. Genesis chapter 11 says the people there built a tower to the heavens, a, a monument of human achievement. And the most likely meaning of the name Babylon is gate to the gods. And, and that's kind of how they saw this tower. We, we call it a ziggurat, a uh, four-sided, stepped pyramid. The one in, in Babylon's no longer there, but there are some similar in the area. And uh, simply, so that one would be similar to this one. Uh, Genesis said that the, the people of Babel figured that they could do this, then nothing would be impossible for them. And that is when Babylon became more than a city. So let's go back to that statement. Will you say it with me? 
Babylon became a symbol of humans taking the place of God, assuming the power to redefine good and evil. And as a result, Genesis 11 says that God caused them to be scattered. And from there, they adopted different languages. Their languages became confused from one to another. Much, much later, in 605 B.C., many citizens of Jerusalem were captured. They were put in chains, and they were forced to march to Babylon, where they lived in exile the rest of their lives. These Judeans were forced to live in a culture that was hostile to their faith. And, and, and that's what we're looking at today. How do we live in Babylon? How do we live in a culture that is often in conflict with our faith and values? So I'm going to ask if you would to please open your Bible to, uh, to uh, Daniel chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on uh, page 881. Or, of course, you may brought your Bible or use your phone, whatever. That works too. Uh, if you don't have a Bible to read at home... By the way, we would love to help with that. Um, if you would, after the service, go kind of to the other end of the foyer, next to the elevator, you see the Connection Center. There's a little display rack there, and there's, a, there's some Bibles in there. Just take one. You don't have to ask. You know, just, just grab one, take it home, keep it, read it. It's yours. Now, uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar forced the king of Judah to give him all the gold items from the temple in Jerusalem. And they, they were taken then to the temple uh, of Nebuchadnezzar's gods uh, in Babylon. And by doing this, this was Nebuchadnezzar's way of saying, my God is bigger than your God. So Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make sure, though, also that Judah would never rise up against him. So this was his plan. He took a few of these Jewish young educated men, the cream of the crop, uh, people like Daniel, to serve in his palace. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to turn them into Babylonians. He figured, the, the, the king figured that uh, he could use these young men with, and their knowledge of the, of the Jewish language and culture so he could more effectively exercise his rule over them. And I can just imagine these four young guys, they walk into the palace for the first time and their, their eyes are big and they're, they're, they're seeing all these, these tall ivory columns, marble columns and, and vaulted ceilings with gold overlay and these well-dressed officials who are busy go doing all their work and the, the burly guards who are protecting the royal harem. And these four handsome guys, they just look like they could fit right in there. Verse 4 says they were healthy, attractive, and intelligent. And if you're one of those healthy, attractive, intelligent people, then it may seem like, wow, you've got a lot of uh, advantages in life. And maybe that's true. But I would also say be careful because there will always be people who want to use you. And that's what happened to Daniel and his friends. Scripture implies that Daniel and his healthy, attractive, intelligent friends were appointed to be eunuchs. You know what a eunuch is? Eunuch is a court official uh, serving at the palace. Sounds like a great gig, great gig right? <laughs> Except that eunuchs in those days, they were routinely castrated so they wouldn't be a threat to the king's harem. 
And so while the book of Daniel doesn't specifically use the word eunuch here, the, the fact that, that, you know, he, Daniel and his three friends, uh, that never lists any descendants for them is kind of a clue to what happened. As our VBS kids learned last month, and, and uh, Leah did, went over it with them again this morning, life is unfair, but God is good. And you know, that's what so much of the book of Daniel is about. Life being unfair and God being good. As I said, Nebuchadnezzar tried to turn Daniel and his, his buds into Babylonians. How? Well, three things. First, they used education. Uh, if you've got your Bible there, if it's open, then look at verse 4 and go skip to the first part and then go to the last sentence of verse 4. He, that is Ashpenaz, the, the chief court official, was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. For example, I'm sure Daniel and his friends probably studied astrology. Though personally, they trusted God's word. They didn't, they didn't buy into this horoscope stuff. But they learned it. The second way the king tried to, to turn them into Babylonians was with their diet. Verse 5 starts out. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Wouldn't you love to eat at the palace buffet every day, huh? I wonder if they had a, if wonder if they had a Babylon, Babylon burger bar, you know? Of course, you wouldn't get any more of mom's home cooking, but... You know, as long as you developed a taste for Babylonian cuisine, you'd probably be okay. But this three-year training went further than education and nutrition. The third thing, verse 7, says that they were even forced to give up their names. Can you imagine that? Because saying, okay, your name, we're not going to use that anymore. We're giving you a new one. Each of their Jewish names also is a reflection of their faith. Uh, if you notice those four names there, that each one either ends with L, E-L, in English, uh, which was short for Elohim, which is kind of a short version of the, na of the name God, or uh, Aya, in English, I-A-H, which stands for, kind of short for Yahweh, or the Lord. For example, the name Daniel, Daniel, means God is judge. Did you know that? God is judge. But they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means protect the king's life. Like, that's your job, too. It's your name. Protect the king's life. The other three are given Babylonian names as well. It's kind of like they say, we're going to erase your previous life. Doesn't exist anymore. Remember, Babylon is always out to redefine you. Uh, you, you remember, you know who this guy is? Anybody? Kind of a, yeah, that's right, Malcolm X. Kind of a young, upstanding, respectable-looking young man for such a radical that he was. He was an African-American activist back in the 50s and 60s. He was assassinated when he was 39 years old. Uh, he was actually born in Omaha. Did you know that? Yeah. And uh, I learned recently why he had the X as his last name. Uh, he, when he was born here in Omaha, he was given the name Malcolm Little. And, uh, but then later he adopted X as his last name because Little was the name given to his slave ancestors by their masters. And the, and the letter X was his way of protesting that his, his family's African name had been taken away. 
Babylon will always try to redefine you. And the book of Daniel is about answering the question, how do we thrive in Babylon without letting Babylon define us? And that's the question for us today. How do we thrive in Babylon without letting Babylon define us? Because we live in this world. How do we live in it without letting it define us? And the answer is to give your highest loyalty to God and learn when to compromise and when you must not. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah got the green light from God that, hey, it's okay to work here in the Babylonian palace. God's, God has plans for you. God's going to use you in this situation, so that's okay. And it was okay for them to learn the Babylonian language and literature because it did not replace God's word hidden in their hearts. And it was also okay, I mean, what else are they going to do, to, to accept the names given to them by their captors. I mean, when it's just the four of them, they can use their real names, but, you know, they're still going to answer to the Babylonian names because they still knew deep down who they are, who they were. But when it came to their diet, this is where they knew they had to draw the line. Here it was clear to them that they must not compromise. Let's go down to verses 12 and 13. Daniel says to the guard who served them their meals, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what, what you see. My first question is, Hey guys, what's wrong with eating steak every night, huh? You know, I used to think that Daniel uh, and his friends refused food from the king's table because... It wasn't kosher. It wasn't prepared according to the, to the law of Moses. Or, and, you know, sometimes there might be pork on the menu, and, you know, they, they were not going to eat that. But, but a lot of Bible scholars see that something bigger was going on here than that. Think of all the Jewish exiles there in Babylon. They're poor. They don't have enough to eat. If Daniel and his three amigos were to, were to feast every day on the king's finest foods, it'd be like turning their backs on their friends and family. They knew they had to share in the suffering of their people. Not only that, but once you accept the, the privileges of your oppressor, it's like even in your own mind, they really own you. Accepting gifts and privileges, uh, it only per perpetuates the oppression. Uh, and it may seem like, you know, you're, you're hurting yourself too much, you're, you're splitting hairs, uh, and it is a subtle thing. But, but over time, these privileges erase your independence. You become less and less a free person. It's like a politician being wined and dined by lobbyists, ex, you know, accepting expense-paid tropical trips. Because once you go down that road, they've got you. They own you. 
So Daniel and his comrades decide to, hey, we're just going to limit our diet. We're just going to eat vegetables, which, which would include legumes like lentils, big food in that day. And, and the danger is, the threat is that they would, that they would lose weight, that they, would, they, they might get scrawny, they, they would become less beautiful specimens for the king's court. Well, what happened is not intended to be a lesson in the virtues of veganism, but it is a reminder to resist the influence of Babylon and to give your highest loyalty to God, and God is always going to care for you. So let's go to verses 15 and 16, okay? At the end of the ten days, they, that is Daniel and his three munchketeers, uh, looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Guard didn't mind. He could keep all the choice food and wine for himself. But for these young men, this is where they had to draw the line. So let's say this from the screen together, shall we? Give your highest loyalty to God and learn when to compromise and when you must not. I was on vacation when the story broke about the condition of the immigrant detention centers along the southern U.S. border, especially the condition of the children uh, separated from their parents, many of the children trying to care for each other. I'll spare you the footage. We've all seen it. I tried to uh, do some research, get behind the hype, and get some corroborating evidence to some of these appalling reports. You know, sometimes you just, you're not sure what you can believe in the news anymore, so you try to dig around a little bit. And it does appear that we have a crisis, although I'm sure that it's not the same from one detention center to the next. Some might be good, some may be terrible, I don't know. But from what I've learned, uh, relief agencies, uh, for example, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, none of them are allowed to help. None of them are allowed to go in there and offer aid and assistance. So, on Wednesday, I emailed one of our U.S. senators from Nebraska. And I was careful not to express any partisan talking points. I had no interest in making this an opportunity to, to promote a Republican or Democratic agenda. I mean, because that's, that's not why I was writing. My purpose was to, because I wanted to know what happened, and I represent Jesus. And so I, I, I asked, what, what am I going to tell my people? What can we do? You see, once we make a political party our, our authority of what's right and wrong, then, folks, we have bought into Babylon. Our highest authority has to be God's agenda. In Romans 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul speaks to this, and I, I really love the way uh, the Phillips translation gives it. Here it is. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold, remold your minds from within. Uh, say it with me, will you? Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. You see, the world wants to, to define you. 
The world wants to squeeze you into its mold, and it will if you let it, unless you're on guard against it. The world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus, deny yourself. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. One time, uh, a guy in a church I served, I had just been the pastor there for not that long a time, and, and he took me out to uh, lunch at a really nice restaurant. It's kind of a swanky place. And for me, any place with cloth napkins is swanky, right? <laughs> uh, and he, 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 you know, at some point later in the conversation, he started mentioning how he had talked to the bishop before. Yeah, the bishop and I, are, we're buddies. And, uh, and then he kind of dropped how he, was, he took credit for how he had gotten my predecessor moved because he talked to the bishop. And suddenly I realized how much this free lunch could cost me. He painted himself as a person with a great deal of power. He, he implied that, well, Steve, if you really want to stay here, you want to, you want to see things the way I see them. You want to do things the way I do them. Let me tell you, that was the last lunch I had with him. The, and as it turns out, uh, I lasted longer in that church than he did. You see, the world wants to define you. The world wants to squeeze you into its mold. Jesus wants to make you new. Jesus wants to set you free. You know, I think it's really unfortunate that following Jesus is now seen by so many people as conforming to the establishment. Don't they? Yeah, they, they, they see that, yeah, going to church, it means, yeah, you've got to conform to, to the way that the church tells you and, and then, you know, just do everything right. But it was never meant to be that way. Even today, in many places in the world, Jesus is a threat to the establishment. Jesus is a, is a threat to, to the power-hungry empires of this world because his followers are not so easily controlled. That's why so many Christians in China end up in jail. You see, the world wants you to conform to its image. The world tells you what clothes to wear, what music to listen to, what's cool, what's funny, what's right, what's not. But you were created in God's image. And Jesus wants to set you free to live out that image. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, sometimes we don't even realize it's happening, you know, the, the pressures that are around us, and we just sort of fit right in, and we go along with the flow, and it's only later that we look back and we realize, you know, I think I've just given up a whole lot. And so, Lord, we're asking that you will help us to see that, to to uh, not be defined by the, what the world says we got to be. Lord, we want to be a part of your story. 
your good news, your redemption, your restoration. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.